fans, and welcome to a new episode of the Supercluster Podcast. I have a very special guest with us today, Lori Garver, the former Deputy Administrator of NASA under the Obama administration. The reason we have Lori on today is because we're heading into this huge, historic crew launch that SpaceX will be performing for NASA under this auspicious commercial crew program. And Lori, I wanted to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. I know how busy you are, and I know that everyone must be asking you a million questions. But I wanted to have you on the show today to talk about this. You are most welcome. It is my favorite topic to talk about, it turns out. <laughs> now, Lori, let's get right into this origin story. I see this mission is has such a, a, a historic importance because it is the first time we're launching since the end of the shuttle era, which is, you know, that in itself is a whole conversation. But Lori, how did this whole thing come to be? Oh my goodness. It is, the story would be longer than we have since I love... Give us the bullet point. I do, I do <laughs> believe its origin story is many decades ago. There have been a group right. of dreamers and believers who have wanted to do this since they read it about in science fiction. Many of them became scientists. Many of them got involved in projects. And when I joined the National Space Institute in the early 1980s, I learn from those people and recognize that if you're going to create a spacefaring civilization, it's likely not going to be the government that pays for it. We have been doing in space so many amazing things, but the government isn't there to do the same thing over and over. And launching to space with both cargo and people is something that the private sector was ready to take over probably long before we ultimately managed to get it done. But it is ultimately something that I feel was inevitable, but you're looking for an origin story starting when I came in to NASA in 2008 as leading the transition right. team. It's a much simpler story, but I do like to give credit to the decades before, including when I was at NASA in the 1990s and Dan Golden, who was the administrator for 10 years, said, I'm going to turn over the keys of the space shuttle to low Earth orbit. And there were groups of people actually looking at financing to do that. So lots of companies, Kelly Aerospace, Kistler, Rotary Rocket, I don't want to leave anyone out, Beale Aerospace, CSI, all attempting to do this, NASA giving out small contracts. In comes Elon Musk with not only the money, but clearly the vision and the leadership skills to make progress at lowering the cost of getting to orbit and being able to win back market share that we'd lost to the French, the Chinese, and the Russians in the 90s right. because we had a sole provider. So it was building on decades of people's not only dreams, but actual efforts. And I had worked on policy development that could allow and incentivize more private sector investment. So I knew about Space Act agreements when I came back in 2008. And ultimately, the problem was when we arrived, the shuttle had been identified by the Bush administration as being retired in 2010. I went to mm -hmm. NASA and said, could we extend it if we wanted to, was told a lot of sub-tier 
suppliers would no longer be able to keep it going, but they had two more tanks. And so we could add two more shuttle flights, which we did. We also extended the space station because it was not going to be funded past 2015. And at that point, it was the human spaceflight program. So we looked at the constellation program that was set in place to go to and from space station. It was not going to get space station until 2017, but ah, they had deorbited it in 2015 and their plans. So it was really a problem. Basically, we inherited a human space flight transportation system that was broken, which was an opportunity to do it right. We wouldn't have been able to drive this change without so many people and SpaceX. Again, you can't really overstate their their value, but there were others of value. And I learned... Now, now, Lori, going back to the comment about the Bush administration real quick, I'm sure our audience, especially a lot of new space fans in this new era, what would you say was the encapsulated reason for the cancellation of shuttle? And I know... I know it's a million nuanced things, but what was that final reason for finally shutting it down in 2010 and ultimately extending it before they extended it? I I think the second accident of the space shuttle Columbia, so two accidents in just over 100 missions, was a risk that when you really looked at flying out the shuttle beyond that, what the CABE, as it became known investigation, accident investigation board found was you would need what they called a recertification of shuttle past 2010 if you were going to fly it any longer. And Uh no one really knew what that meant, but they also knew that the design was the design and putting the rockets next to where you keep the people is not, Mm -hmm. is not as safe as putting a capsule on top of the rocket. So you could have the escape mechanisms and so forth. So it was fundamentally maybe Mm -hmm. a, a design that was unsafe. It was also still $4 billion a year. And the space shuttle was designed with the rationale to lower the costs of getting people to and from space. So it hadn't done that. It hadn't made it routine, which was their second point. It didn't launch very Mm -hmm. often. It was not rapid. Right. It was not a rapid. (laughs) They were going to launch 40 a year. Right. And it was not a robust safety design. So the Bush administration, in my view, making that decision following the Columbia accident was a rational decision. When we came in, we only mm-hmm. revisited it because we are asked on transition to give the president recommendations for things that needed to be done in the first 100 days, the first year, and the first term within our agencies. So as lead on the NASA team, Shuttle retirement was very close to one of those upfront issues that had to be dealt with. No one wanted to be the president that oversaw the end of human spaceflight. And I had talked to Mm -hmm. candidate Obama and incoming President Obama a couple of times, certainly enough to know he did not want to be that president. So Mm -hmm. the space shuttle retiring, Obama often takes the hit for, or I take the hit for, fine, It is what it is. It was a timing situation. And, of course, it was super challenging. It was emotional. The employees. It was an iconic vehicle. Besides the engineering and the science that we were able to achieve with the space shuttle, it was an iconic American symbol. It sure was. And it represented so much. It sure was. Yes. And it lost a part of our soul there. 
You know, it, it affected it affected the national. I feel like brand of space in a way. Oh my goodness! I, I mean, it was it was the timing of being coming into NASA when that was happening was, of course, the most challenging thing we faced. But you don't get to pick the time to serve, and there it was. Right. And Bill Gersenmeyer himself is telling me it can't be extended. So it was hard for me to have to bear the brunt of at least many who who thought right. somehow I was responsible. I was very proud of doing the extra two missions that we thought space station required. And I was very proud of being able to fly it out safely. Lots of concerns when you end a vehicle program that people get, you know, less conscientious at the end that did not happen. So right. there was a lot of pride in it as well. Yeah, it seems so long ago now, but it was only it's nine years. Back. And, and, it's coming back and, to me when I think about it. And it's coming back, right? Now, let's talk about SpaceX. And I, I want to ask about the specific thing, or maybe it's a moment, where you realized that SpaceX was going to be a leader in space exploration one day. Because I know we're talking about in context of 20, 2008, 2011, 2012, Back then, most people, I would say the the public didn't generally know who SpaceX was compared to sure. today. They've accomplished so much in the last five years. But looking back at then, what about the company was so impressive? What, what made you think you could trust them with, you know, American prominence in space? <laughs> I, I reflect on that, especially recently. I don't know of a moment because, as I mentioned, there were others that predated them who hadn't made it, who oftentimes, yeah. of course, we hoped would. But there was something different, I think, about SpaceX. The first time I went out and visited their facility, they had just bought the Hawthorne facility, and I met with Gwen. That had to be 2003. Elon had called me up to have breakfast around that time frame, but we were mainly talking about my interactions with Russia for the Astromom program. And so mm -hmm. I was just, as always, intensely interested in their success because they were doing what I felt was the core, core most important thing for space development, which was lowering the cost to get to orbit. I appreciated that he had a business sense about it that he wanted to, and I felt would win back market share. I watched all those early failures and I was not deterred. I think in 2007, when I was advising the Clinton campaign, Hillary Clinton's campaign, we would have, mm -hmm. we were on the same path and he hadn't even launched successfully. So with the Obama team coming in, there was this vision that this president wanted to drive technology, tap innovation. You know, this, there just wasn't, I didn't think any other choice than to put all our cards on the table for commercial space. And I couldn't have done that without SpaceX being where they were. It would have been harder to do if they hadn't succeeded with that, uh, I think, September no. 08 flight. Mm -hmm. But I held my breath for, for a couple flights before, because, mm -hmm. you know, it Telling the president to do something. I mean, when we sent the president to the SpaceX launch site down at Kennedy mm -hmm. in on April 15th of 2010, I remember, of course, the shuttle people were very upset that we hadn't sent him to the to the shuttle sites, but we felt we wanted right. to look forward, not past. And I right. remember United Launch Alliance said, oh, the president had wanted to come there, but there was some national security reason that 
they couldn't right, have right. it. I did it hear made that. Up. We didn't. We yeah. didn't ask to go. Yeah, I, I, I knew that was a BS story. <laughs> we we also were, I really think... <laughs> wanted him to go to the SpaceX site, and that picture right. of he and Elon there, like I don't know. Yeah. Sure, it was a risk, but honestly, I think the president was very aware of that risk, and he thought it was worth taking as well, or I wouldn't have recommended it. Right. And it's a risk that obviously paid off. Now, I just think it's really funny that you, when you categorized your conversation with Elon Musk selling you on this idea, he was actually pretty practical about it and talked about business. When he sells it to the rest of us, it's all about Mark. <laughs> so um, true. And that's what I, uh, so and, true. And, and, yeah, and I want to talk about something because we're talking about President Obama right now. Right before he left office, he wrote an op-ed for CNN that we as a country should be pursuing Mars as the next human landing site. And he wrote well, a lot of the things you just said. He, he was a progressive about technology and he wanted new ideas and entrepreneurship. And I think that he was also a huge Star Trek fan. <laughs> and that uh, comes out in a lot of what he does. But he wrote this op-ed right before he left office and SpaceX actually officially responded to it. I remember covering the story that they were going to take up this call and they directly addressed President Obama in a statement. And I just was that part of Obama's vision that you were discussing earlier? Was Mars a big part of that play well, in the long run? Not not initially. I think that mm-hmm. Obama is sort of, I would say, similar. We're the same age. We grew up with Apollo and we are optimist, but also pragmatists. And he was right. very focused. It's not like I hung out with him every week or anything. The times we talked about this, he was very much supportive of NASA. He knew and understood the choice between advancing the old programs that were going to be expensive and try to go back to the moon. But that the budgets that we'd proposed were not in any way going to cover that mission. He understood the value of leveraging private sector investment. And so we were really much focused on getting NASA back on track while keeping the vision. So the flexible path that we proposed with the first budget was, was really just an acknowledgement that at best the president would be there eight years. We, although he asked for an increase. Our first budget was about $700 million increase with something like a $6 billion increase over the five-year runout. That was not going to be enough to build landers for the moon and certainly not enough to get you to Mars. And he and his OMB weren't proposing to double the NASA budget or anything. So we had such pushback from Capitol Hill that we didn't have a destination specific with a time frame. We, mm-hmm. a couple of us. Like a moonshot. They wanted a moonshot. They wanted some well, kind of Well, they wanted like contracts big... in their district, let's be honest. But <laughs> okay. they told us, oh, you know, you're stealing the moon from us. Okay. So right. we decided and tried to be responsive to the concerns of our colleagues on the Hill, who are very important to the system of democracy that we have. And the... <laughs> April 15th, 2010 speech said, we have the capability 
we will go to an asteroid. Astronauts, there are really only sort of three physical destinations that exist, and mm-hmm. that's the moon, the asteroids, and Mars. Both the moon and Mars have large gravity wells. You're very expensive for a lander. Asteroids were really the thing that if Mars was your ultimate human goal, which it was for us, then you really, the long pole in the tent is how human physiology can withstand that deep space travel. And so our initial asteroid selection had to do with driving down the technologies that were really the important ones for the longer term vision of Mars, as well as recognition that asteroids are the one thing that we know could end humanity. We've run this experiment with the dinosaurs and most not just Hollywood, but most people believe it's sort of NASA's role to protect us from those. We weren't spending much detecting them. Setting a site to visit one would mean you got to spend a lot more resources on detection, which would have a lot of benefits. Asteroids are also very interesting scientifically. A lot of people believe that Mm -hmm. either asteroids or comets brought the seeds of organic life into That's what OSIRIS-REx is about. Yes. And for longer-term space development, asteroids are a resource that can potentially be mined to build colonies and spacecraft where people can live and go further. So asteroids are the total package, really. But that Mm -hmm. was not appreciated by hardly anyone. So it was a short-lived effort. It was very frustrating to me because I really do believe asteroids are a very reasonable thing for NASA to study. We didn't need astronauts to go to them, but we were trying Mm -hmm. to give a destination to our longer-term effort of a flexible path that would drive down the cost of technologies, make it so that when we went beyond low Earth orbit next with people, we could do it for a cost that didn't require the quintupling of the NASA budget that we were able to get in the Cold War. We have never been able to get the kind of resources we got then because we don't have the rationale that we had then. It's just that simple. And so your only choice between trying to gin up a Cold War is reduce the cost so the rationale doesn't have to be so overwhelmingly important. So getting off Mm -hmm. the planet is sort of, in my view, important, but not really to your average taxpayer day to day. So you, we were trying to make that balance, and the asteroid was announced with Mars. We said asteroid in 2020 and to Mars right. in the 2030s. We don't write these words like without thinking about them. And to right, Mars right, right. in the 2030s, we did not want to <laughs> overpromise. There was no lander budget in the 2030s. Now, I left after the first five years and the NASA administrator, Charlie Bolden, was personally committed to Mars. And I know the administration had a lot more things written for them about Mars. There was a, I don't know, was it Journey to Mars? There was a slogan. It was a Journey to Mars, yeah. It was a drinking game Mm -hmm. in my house, but (laughs) there was no Mars program. Of course, I actually believe any of these longer-term destinations don't really shift most of what NASA is doing. So were we going to Mars? You bet. And Charlie used to say, we're closer to going to Mars today than we've ever been. Well, of course we are. And I'm closer to having grandchildren than I ever am. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. 
or possible. And well, I have kids, so it is possible. But I <laughs> really sort of like the grandkids thing. In my, even my job at NASA, wasn't going to be able to do that much about it. My my time had passed. You know, I did my part. <laughs> now it's up to somebody else. And so driving down the cost <laughs> of transportation and technologies that could get us there was really important. And we were committed to it. We made some progress. A lot of what we did is still there. PPE was one of our tech demos. It was so wildly unpopular at the time. And I love that it's found its way into it, to architecture for a lunar mission. And I would love for us to be able to, again, go beyond low Earth orbit. But my time at NASA, I had some real short-term problems that I needed to solve. And the ability to have private sector there to help made made all the difference. And I, I think we've been seeing a lot of updates from public hearings these last week or two. And there's been a mathematical determination that the commercial crew program is saving NASA billions. Tens of billions. Tens of billions, which is crazy. Amazing. It's amazing. It's also crazy that it happened so quickly in the context of space exploration. But Lori, what challenges do we face now that I mean, this mission next Wednesday, we're sort of shifting the responsibility. We're shifting the, I feel like I'm trying to come up with a word that encapsulates risk without saying risk, but we're, are we shifting risk here to private industry over human exploration? And what challenges do you think we face in that new world? In my view, there is not a fundamental difference in the risk profile if the government is designing it, building operating it, then commercial companies doing that piece. If anything, mm-hmm. maybe I'd put my money on the commercial company. Very simply, commercial companies, and from working in commercial aviation, this I have a lot of confidence in the private sector to do technically risky things safely, okay? The U.S. airlines fly a billion people a year until this year, and in the last 10 years, has not, oh, there was one Southwest airline fatality, but have not crashed any airplanes. It's truly unbelievable. And, And that's commercial. Yes, there's regulations, but airlines know if they kill people, they're going out of business. They're losing their jobs. They are losing their pensions. They're losing their future. In government, you kill people. We've run this experiment. They didn't lose their jobs. They got to keep doing what they were doing. So fundamentally, I really take a bit of offense, as you can tell, because I was told Mm -hmm. many times by the aerospace aerospace safety panels and so forth that fundamentally I was risking astronauts' lives. And I know it is risky to go to space. And the only way we can be 100% sure we're not risking an astronaut's life is to not send them anywhere. That is not what NASA is about. NASA is about reducing those risks to something that's reasonable. I mean, it's, of course, of course it's going to be in, on all our you know? minds. It's been on everyone's mind every time there's a space launch. My mother remembers watching Alan Shepard launch, and she said in her mind, she remembered thinking, wow, I've never seen someone die before. And they just assumed that was very high chance. Right. I will say again, it's a little bit of a different perceived reason to risk someone's life maybe in the cold war beating the russians than it is launching 
people. I think space station's important, but not everybody probably really gets why that is. Um, So, yes, one of the problems with the shuttle accidents where people really looked at, did we need to risk the astronauts' lives Mm -hmm. to launch a commercial satellite? That was the challenger problem. No, we did not. So it's a balance of the mission purpose with the risk. And we shouldn't be launching people to do things that it isn't important to launch people in. But I fundamentally know that these astronauts recognize the risk. They've been very involved in the vehicle design, more so than I think people were who flew the space shuttle in the space shuttle design. But yeah, of course, it's going to be... I'm not going to take a victory lap until Bob and Doug are back on terra firma, or at least in the ocean. Now, Lori, what are you going to be doing on launch day? I know you're not going to be traveling, but you'll probably be walking. And I will be logged (laughs) into the very nice invitation I just got from Jim Bridenstine to join the NASA VIP down, I don't know, down link or something. I, I'm sure, yeah, course, I'm sure there course. can be, there are thousands of people on it. It's not very VIP, but I don't care. That's what I want to be doing. I want to be with people who have helped make this happen, which is thousands of people. That's a lot of people. And I wish I could be with them in person, a, I mean, but that is a risk that we actually don't need to take at this time. So I guess I will Exactly. Right. Now, Lori, to, to wrap this episode, um, and thank you so much for being on, I wanted to talk about our favorite folks at the Brooke Owens Fellowship. Aww. Because we, I mean, Supercluster, we've been a, around for two years. We have worked with a lot of Brookies throughout the last couple of years down at the spaceport doing videos or photos or articles. And I just, you, the Brooke Owens Fellowship and the Brookies are already like part of the fabric and tapestry of the space community. Just give us a little bit about why it exists and how it came to be and what is the goal of the Brooke Owens Fellowship? Oh my goodness, that is the joy of my life. But the goal was to not allow my dear friend and colleague Brooke Owens' amazing spirit to die when she passed away at the age of 35, much too young. Brooke was a mentee of mine, and really, just within the moments of hearing about her death, I tried to think of something to be done that could really honor her legacy. And Brooke and I often would be the only women in the room at a lot of meetings in the space biz, and... We, of course, wanted to do everything we could to make sure that didn't continue much longer. So doing something for collegiate women, to me, that allowed them to experience actual jobs. So the combination to me that was important. Women coming out of college as engineers don't necessarily know our industry they don't have mentorship, and they don't know each other. Because maybe Purdue will have two or three women out of their whole program, but honestly, even I could not have imagined that in just right. four years it would have been so successful. Immediately, Cassie and Will, I cannot not say enough about my co-founders, Cassie Lee and Will Pomerantz. The three of us have together, mm-hmm. as founders, been able to now 
welcome the fourth class of Brookies. I I think that I I know a lot of people think that probably the legacy that I would leave for commercial space, commercial launch, commercial crew was my finest hour. But as I tell the Brookies, having now 150, who knows how many over the coming years of early career women coming in with the energy and excitement of them is clearly going to make a bigger difference than than I made on my own. So it's, I'm, I only have boys and they just give me a hard time over the fact that <laughs> I now have 150 daughters yeah. who, who, daughters. who right. I seem to spend more time with than I do with them. But thank you for your support. I thank the space community for its support. There, there has not been really anything but positive energy right now of course it's a really hard time to have interns and so many companies are going above and beyond to employ them i know who you're talking about at the cape i love you all and i just want them to stay in our industry it's for them for sure that we do the program but it's also for the future of aerospace we we don't have a future if we're a bunch of old white guys like the old days you know this is we I think you're, I think the Brooke Owens Fellowship is tackling two problems. One is we need more inclusivity in the space program. We need especially gender diversity, but also we need people in the industry. <laughs> um, we just need employees. So yes, I, I just think that it's, it's solving both those problems. And when you said just now the, in four years, it's, it's unbelievable that it's only been four years for the book on yeah. scholarship because it's already become an it's institution. Our fourth, it's our fourth class right now. Yeah. And congratulations to all the, the future classes. I know some of them are listening. Oh, um, I hope so. We're having a grad yeah. party, a virtual grad party Saturday night. Nice. We're organizing as much as, as we can. This class won't be able to meet in person like past classes but we'll invite them back to future events and i sure 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 intend to meet them all and give them a hug an unsocially distanced hug (laughs) sometime in the future we're big on hugging in the brook owens fellowship so that's it's been missed I think we're big on hugging in Maybe. space. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's 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 hurting. We're 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 a little extra hurt. It's going to be so weird going down to Kennedy Space Center next week and seeing all. I mean, the space community is close. We're all really close friends. We yeah. all know each other. It's. I'm going to be seeing about a dozen of my closest friends, and I won't be able to shake their hand or hug them. I'll be able to talk to them from six feet away, but you know, with this mission. We're trying to be as safe as possible, and NASA is doing the best they can. They can, and everybody else is, you know, trying to. Even though restrictions seem to be lifting in certain places, I think us in the space program, we're we're going to play it extra safe. That's what we do. <laughs> That's exactly what we do. <laughs> so we're going to do that. Thank you so much for being on the show, Lori. You're welcome. I will. I will be thinking of you partially during the day, based on this conversation, and I hope you don't pace around too much, and I hope you actually enjoy the lunch. And thank you for everything that you've done. Working at NASA is service to the people. I rarely do have NASA employees on or former NASA folks on. So having you on is really special. And I thank you for taking the time. And just thank you for everything that you've given to what we have today. The commercial program, commercial crew program, I should say, has also had an effect on 
there's like a, an industry now of people who are doing space stuff that are not even related to launch, like Supercluster and like other companies and other organizations out there that are able to tell this story because of folks like you. So thank you, Laura. Well, you are most welcome. Not unlike the Brooklyn Ones Fellowship, the ripples are what are, are really exciting. And it was an honor and pleasure to serve both my times at NASA and work with amazing people. So thank you and Godspeed, Dragon. <laughs>